Hello, my fellow geoscience aficionados. You are listening to Nice Chats from the Geology Podcast Network. I'm Dr. B, and in each episode, I will interview an expert in various areas in geoscience and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of natural problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme, and since we'll have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we'll be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geosciences, I, with the help of our guests and occasional co-hosts, will take care of fitting all the information that you need in a casual and fun environment. Today we're talking about my favorite one of the chronologies, petrochronology. To help us understand how to use and obtain petrochronological data, I'm chatting today with a great friend of mine, Mary Curie fellow and gamer, Dr. Eleanor Bleurot from the University of Leeds. Hey, uh, welcome to the nice chats. Hey, Vito, thanks for having me. <laughs> No problem. It's a great pleasure to have you here. And uh, today I'm also joined by my lovely next of kin, Dr. Silvia Volanti herself. Hi, everyone. Hi, Eleanor. How is hey. winter in Perth? Wet, 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 wet. <laughs> We've actually had flooding, which is just something we're not used to. <laughs> well, also here in Germany, where we are recording this, um, there's been a lot of flooding really drastic kind of uh, rains and something that that uh, possibly is becoming more frequent now with the with the climate change so yeah very concerning mm. um so how is the move coming along are you parting away with some samples <laughs> mm, not so much parting away as a sort of fondly saying goodbye to for a period of time <laughs> and sort of packing away carefully to make sure that they're all happy and I can uh, reunite with them in the future. Um, it is kind of sad not being able to take everything with me because I have some really cool stuff that I've accumulated, but and it's hard to choose like which special ones are going to make the trip to, you know, brighten up my office or something. But uh, yeah, um, they're, they're, they're safe and sound. They're safe and sound. <laughs> yeah, we unfortunately, we all have to do that at some point in our academic lives. Like me, for example, I have a bunch of rocks in my parents' house that I'm always reminding them not to chuck in the bin because they always want to get rid of all these rocks. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Sylvia? Yeah, uh, actually, I have a lot of boxes with samples uh, from the time I was studying in Milano and they're all in my parents' cellar. And I mean, I'm not sure when they're going to get out of there, but... <laughs> Not anytime soon, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, mine are all in the shed, pretty much. Uh, and I just hope that they don't sort of wind up in the garden or something. I don't think so. I've I've tried to keep them, like, out of the way, put them in a corner, you know, so they're not obtrusive. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's just I have some stuff that's quite fragile as well. So just yeah. bundle it up as much yeah. as possible <laughs> yeah. so one of my strategies to preserve one of my samples was that i had this very cool um ripple marks on quartzite that uh, were kind of like flattish 
So I asked my dad to use it uh, in the pavement of the house when they built it. So it's forever preserved. There. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. yeah I actually, awesome. I was very happy that after this um, super long move that we had from Australia to Germany, my favorite sample got finally um, into my hand, back into my hands. And this entire, like, hasn't been bro broken apart. So I'm very happy about that. That's it. Mm. So I'll, to break the ice a little bit we're gonna start with the game okay okay i like uh, so it <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, so today's game is called mind speleology <laughs> basically i'm gonna map what goes on inside your head consider it a free therapy session and don't be scared i am a doctor it does say so on my Twitter handle. And also here on the background, you can see my diploma. So <laughs> uh, this, this game is a, just a simple word association game. Uh, I'm going to say a word and you're going to have to tell me the first geoscience related thing that comes into your mind. Okay. okay. <laughs> so for example, if I say podcast, you can say, for example, nice chats. Yeah, <laughs> nice chats. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Uh, but because you are a gamer also, these will all be gaming terms that you need to somehow associate with the geoscience thing, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> Gonna be fun. And you don't have to like, uh, you know, answer the first thing that pops into your mind, but also, you know, if, you, if you're struggling to come up with something, there is no problem in just taking your Skipping time, one. okay? <laughs> don't feel pressure. Don't okay. feel any pressure. Okay, so the first word I have for you is what what geoscience thing do you think about when I say to you bots? Cool. Before you give us an answer, um, can you explain to our non-gamer listeners what bots are? Uh, bots are essentially little computer programs that can be used for good or and or evil. Uh, they can be used to automate processes or... Uh, I guess in the evil sense, they can be used by people that like to buy things online to buy lots of things and mm -hmm. make lots of money. Um, okay. Yeah. So Geologically, what... though. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I guess uh, I don't know why, but my mind went to trilobites because they're trilobites, like... <laughs> man. That's so surprising. <laughs> <Why? I> <laughs> they just remind me of like little robots, you know? Okay. Okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> Um, it's it's way more creative than what I thought of. My simple mind was only capable of associating bots and boots. Oh, <laughs> just, okay. Just inserted an extra O. I just was like thinking of them actually like like little robots, and I'm yeah, like, what looks yeah, like yeah. a little robot in geology? <laughs> yeah, but anyway, like although my answer was very simplistic, mm. we do know from a previous Nice Chats episode that boots are, according to Spencer the most important piece of equipment that a good field geologist needs. So go check out his episode where we chat about field work and what you need to have a successful field campaign. So moving on to the next word, um, clan. And uh, what, is, what is clan in gaming? Uh, a clan or maybe even a guild is usually sort of a group of players and or people it might also be uh sort of like a certain segregation of people uh 
either simply as like good or evil or they might be sort of uh sort of related to different races of creatures and or people uh it can get very complex or it can be very simple um i suppose geologically speaking um that's not even really geologically speaking just uh all of the different genuses of animals like the 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 animal kingdom tree that's what it kind of reminds me of all the different groups and classifications and things like that okay cool yeah uh to me uh the first thing i thought about was conglomerate because it's a clan of clasts (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's that sounds like a good name for something (laughs) yeah true um okay next one easter egg easter egg okay um gaming speaking easter eggs are little kind of hidden items and or throwbacks to popular culture references to previous things that can be hidden in video games so it can be something just like an image from something else that you find and it's a throwback to a previous game or it might be like referencing something in the storyline um usually they're kind of hidden in plain sight Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like Easter egg, my thought went to ooids. You know what oh, an ooid always. is? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The little round, uh, uh, sedimentary formation. I just like it because it's fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, for me, an Easter egg in geoscience is isotopic geochemistry, because to me, isotopes are hidden messages in rocks and minerals. That help us understand their formation. It's getting technical <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one, glitch. Uh, I guess a glitch is, uh, or a bug is when something breaks and or goes terribly wrong inside a game. So it could be that uh, your player character ends up like falling through the floor and all sorts of hell breaks loose or uh there's a really good one that i saw last year in the spider-man game that came out where your player character could turn into inanimate objects so your player character would turn into like a wheelie bin and you could play Mm. the game as a wheelie bin (laughs) 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 which is pretty funny um geologically speaking a glitch hmm my first thought went to unconformity Oh Just man, yeah, that's have, a very like, good one. A, it's like a, a bit of yeah. time missing. There's a glitch in time. Like, where did the that's information true. go? It's the it's the correspondent of the second cat in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an unconformity. <laughs> Deja vu. <laughs> um, I thought polar caps hmm. because I think that the worst kind of glitch you can have is when the game freezes. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and if you have it saved. Always oh, yeah. save. <laughs> Did I well, save? Happens, I'll save again. <laughs> that happens not only with gaming, but also with elaborate figures for papers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or or papers themselves. If you're yeah, on a true. roll, auto save, man, auto save. That's it. Uh, okay, next one is HP. HP or yeah. health points. There um, you go. I.e., the amount of life you have in a game. Uh, hmm. I just can't think of anything geological. I just went to HP source. 
That's not geology at all. <laughs> I think that there is a very obvious answer, and that's probably why I thought of it. But high pressure rocks. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess it's fresh on my mind because uh, it was the theme of our second special series episode with Tim from Loon. So if you want to hear about um, high pressure rocks, go listen to that one. Okay, so next one, noob. <laughs> a noob or newbie is, uh, I guess it can be affectionate, but also potentially a derogatory name uh, for someone that is new to a game. So usually mm -hmm. they might have uh, like little to no experience in either a particular genre or games in general. Um, yeah. And I guess they tend to get teased about it because they can potentially do really silly to stupid things. It can be very funny, though. Right. It's basically me with every game because I'm not <laughs> much of a gamer. So, uh, uh, <laughs> But what did you think of um, for geosciences? Hmm. I guess, like, for me, it would be, like, new lava forming new rocks. Oh, know? that's a good yeah. one. That is a good yeah. one. Fr I thought fresh, fresh geology. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good one. I thought of a quaternary, mm. our newest <laughs> period. So, <laughs> uh, Okay, XP. XP or uh, experience points, uh, usually connected to... Uh, what level your character is or uh, points given out for completing things in games or achieving things in games. Um, I suppose like uh, geologically, hmm, it's not really geologically, but research in general, it's like when you get a new machine or a new skill mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. got some new toy to play with, that mm -hmm. that would be like level up. <laughs> yeah, good, good. I, I went to, I went like a similar route, in which I my first thought was emeritus professor, <laughs> and again, it's not geo necessarily, but it is science, so I'm mm. counting it. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate level. <laughs> That's it. The ultimate XP. Yeah. Uh, did you see the meme that is going around with the uh, with four actors and how they are dressed all differently? And uh, one of them is Bill Murray and he has like a Hawaiian shirt and he's wearing like Uggs. That's the emeritus professor. And everyone else is like super well-dressed, you know, trying to, to, to climb up the career, their career. I think I have seen that one. <laughs> okay, final one. This is the best one of all, huh? Pikachu! <laughs> the uh the the pokemon that uh, even a pokemon fan doesn't know uh does know, <laughs> <laughs> Not does know. um pikachu i.e the electric mouse is the kind of flagship of the pokemon series um he was originally very chubby but has since uh lost weight <laughs> uh mm. in the uh, modern franchises but uh Hmm. Geologically, though. Hmm. That's a hard one. <laughs> I am really blanking on this one. <laughs> what did okay. you do? Oh, so I I went with thunderstorm, or <laughs> you know, at least thunder. Couldn't get mm. out of it. Uh, maybe you know, one of those related to volcanic eruption. You know, when there, you have the ashes and then a bunch of thunder going around. Mm. I, I guess in that same vein, I would then say, uh, is it fulgurite? The like 
the glass created from lightning strikes. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, friends, we're taking a much deserved break from recording and producing the episodes of Nice Chats. But uh, fear not, we'll be back in 2023. No, sorry, 2022. We'll be back 2022, not 2023. That's way too long. And we might even release a couple of bonus episodes in the meantime. But uh, while you wait for season two, make sure to get up to date and even re-listen to our 20 episodes so far. Uh, Also, you can head over to travelinggeologist.com and check out all of the other shows from the Geology Podcast Network. Uh, Two of the GPN shows are currently in production phase, so they'll have new seasons coming out soon. Here at Nice Chats, we are planning also the next set of episodes. So if you would like to be interviewed or if you have a good idea for a theme or someone that would be good on the show, then please write to us at nicechats at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to Nice Chats wherever you listen to your podcast. That way you get a notification once the future episodes come out. Uh, From me, Sylvia Bryant and Fra, thanks for listening. Uh, Okay, so we can get into the, the real part, if that's okay with you. Yep. Nice. So, Eleanor, um, you wrote one of the best explanations of uranium-led petrochronology that I've ever read. Unfortunately, it is not published yet, but luckily for us, it is part of your thesis, so it is available to the public online. So I think you will do fine helping me to answer these questions. And the first question I have for you is, what is petrochronology? So petrochronology is essentially a way to describe and a field of science where petrologists kind of utilize geochronology or age data. Essentially, we link time or age events to specific rock forming or geological processes. And then we might also tie in other layers of information to then constrain sort of the physical conditions of those processes or events like pressure, temperature, uh, the presence of fluids. It's a very multidisciplinary uh, field of science. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's like combining the history of um, the rocks and how they formed and how they evolved with just be pinpointing moments in time through geochronology. Exactly. Okay, and... Do you know when this term was was coined? I suppose it sort of came into vogue in a way uh, in around 2013. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was a big discussion in the research community that we needed a new term. We needed a new sort of subsection of geoscience to kind of describe what petrologists can sometimes do on the day-to-day basis where we take all these different forms of data and we stick it all together to make a comprehensive story and unravel complex geological problems um sort of in the late 90s it sort of became apparent that there was a lot of complexity that wasn't being recognized uh within geological samples and within geological data and we sort of needed to start looking at more than one source of data and bring it all together, which is where petrochronology sort of came from. We couldn't just say, oh, we're doing petrology or we're doing uh, geochronology or geochemistry. We needed something that was a bit more of an umbrella uh, and sort of told everyone, hey, we're doing multidisciplinary science here. That's what mm-hmm. this is all about. Right. And I've um, I've heard a lot of petrochronologists say that uh, 
petrochronology is like a revolutionary field of uh, of geology of geology and geosciences do you agree and if so what is so revolutionary about it i mean i agree in part um you know petrochronology has built off a lot of existing fields of science and it kind of uh you know you could look at them all individually <clears throat> but what's important is how they get put together and the fact that we are layering all these different kinds of data together um but i think the most crucial part about petrochronology is the fact that context is key mm -hmm. you know retaining as many layers of information and actually utilizing that data as much as possible rather than doing away with it by preparing a sample quickly and cheaply potentially and losing valuable information that you might not use straight away but in my opinion it's always better to have more information than not enough information as well as you know it's more likely that you'll be able to solve your problem or answer this particular question you might have if you kind of retain as much information as possible but, yeah definitely i think yeah. that um Petrochronology also relies on a lot of like multidisciplinarity, which is something that I really, really enjoy. I really hate when people just try to unilaterally answer a question when mm. it would be much more uh, reliable to have different points of attack. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree. That's definitely where petrochronology came from. Like you look back at a lot of studies and it was purely acceptable to have a paper that was purely on dating. And there wasn't really much other information. But now we know that you really have to dig a bit deeper and provide extra information to really make your data useful and maybe uh, more widely useful as well. Like you want to create data and write papers that people might be like, oh, I can actually use this in a different way. Or this helps me, uh, you know, add data to a wider data set. Um, that you might not have thought of. So if you provide uh, extra information and or target things in different ways, uh, you're potentially going to be able to see so much deeper into the geological record than you could if you only looked at one line of data. And one line of data could potentially be, uh, you know, it might be ambivalent. It might not tell you everything you need to know. So uh, that's where the power of petrochronology can really uh, come to pass. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for this petrochronological studies, what kind of samples can we use? I mean, uh, from what I've seen and what I've done personally, uh, the most common kinds of samples typically are metamorphic um, mm -hmm. and then maybe less amounts of igneous samples. Uh, I can't say that I've seen this approach necessarily applied to sedimentary rocks, though I guess in theory it could, but uh, whether or not there's some challenges there for that rock type um, compared to your igneous and metamorphic rocks as there's certain uh, phase relationships and things that you need uh, or need to be established uh, in order to connect your data together. Okay, and um, does petrochronology works only in situ or are there other ways to combine geochronology and petrology because you said that you know one of the the trickiest bit about applying it to sedimentary might be that you don't really have this uh, phase relationship for example yeah i mean let's say in situ work is probably the gold standard 
you know, you're, you know, exactly where your data has come from. You have like the perfect amount of co- uh, context to say everything you need about your data. Like, you know, oh, you know, this data point came from this mineral in this place and this texture, everything. And I mean, the more you, context you can retain, the better. It's always better. It's always worth taking the time to preserve context. But let's say you don't have context. Let's say uh, you disaggregated your sample because it was difficult to date. Let's just say, you know, it's a mafic rock and there isn't a lot of things to date in mafic rocks in terms of accessory minerals. So we crush a big hunk of rock and we don't have any uh, mineralogical context anymore, but we could potentially uh, use things like rare earth elements to uh, compare uh, how uh, the different uh, sort of parts of a zircon might relate to the host uh, rock. And then we could look mm-hmm. at a thin section and look at how that rock formed and essentially kind of connect things, maybe not as uh, linearly as you could as if you did it in situ, but you know sometimes in situ isn't always an option. So there are mm-hmm. ways around it by utilizing things like geochemistry or isotopes, uh, things like that. Um, you can kind of uh, work indirectly, but uh, and that's certainly beneficial when you're dealing with uh, older samples or samples prepared using uh, less modern methods and stuff like that. You can reutilize these materials, but certainly, you know, if you can uh, retain context, do it. It's going to save you <laughs> so much uh, difficulty down the line. Re- making context after the fact can be possible, but it ain't fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would also argue that, uh, you know, given what you've answered, um, that's probably how you also use petrochronology to study s- sedimentary rocks, like, you know, these studies where people measure certain mineral phases, uh, accessory minerals like zircon, monazite, uh, and then besides, you know, obtaining the dates for, for these uh, minerals, they also get some kind of chemical information that might tell you, you know, was this uh, zircon originally from a metamorphic or igneous rock and, and other things like that, which is a, a lot of what you say in your um, introduction in the thesis. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you said that uh, you said that petrochronology has a special place in the heart of metamorphic uh, geologists. And why is it especially useful in metamorphic studies? I guess it kind of uh, links back to why I love metamorphic rocks so much in the fact that they're really the history keepers in a way, you know, they can tell us multiple events within one little hunk of rock. They can record so much information um, in many different ways. Uh, but that also is why that to me, they can be very fun because they're almost like complex geological puzzles that you have to sort of, uh, rewind and unravel in order to understand how they got to be the way they are. Um, and that is where petrochronology kind of shines in the fact that we can uh, put dates and put conditions and put uh, all of this information together 
on a rock that might have experienced multiple events and connected all together and actually be able to say something about, oh, you know, this rock uh, had this PT path at this time and uh, actually see everything there is to see within these rocks, which otherwise might be too complicated to really understand if you only look at it from one dimension because we're dealing with rocks that, you know, at minimum kind of uh, have at least three variables, pressure, temperature, and time. Then you can add uh, deformation in there too and other things like fluids. So how do you pull that all apart? How Mm -hmm. do you know, oh, you know, this mineral is connected to this or uh, what came first, the high pressure or the low pressure, all -hmm. these kinds of things. So, retaining that geological context of all of your information of all of your data um can really save you in terms of being able to make sense of it all yeah so basically what you're saying is that if uh, we use petrochronology as a tool then we can find out which one came first the chicken or the egg I mean, that would be nice. <laughs> which, which camp are you in? <laughs> are you pro-chicken or pro-egg? <laughs> I'm pro-egg all the way, baby. Um, in your studies in, in particular, how have you used petrochronology in past and present? I mean, in the past, I suppose my first foray with uh, petrochronology was studying some high-grade rocks from southern India, in particular rocks that had undergone incipient chanakization. I haven't said that in a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, big long word. Um, essentially, it's a process where well, historically anyway, was thought to be granulite facies metamorphism that had kind of stopped partway through completion. And you see these rocks that have this very unusual appearance of essentially white with patchy green patches all over it. And it was thought for a long time that this process was connected to a big wave of fluids that passed regionally through the area. Um, But there was also some people that thought oh maybe it's just a metamorphic thing and the fluids aren't actually connected to this assemblage that we see so uh it was my job to kind of take this one particular example um of this uh, rock relationship and by using petrochronology um i was able to tie the particular characteristic assemblage to peak metamorphism and date the fluid event as actually coming later as sort of a post-peak secondary event. So we actually identified two events, we dated them, we constrained them, as well as showed that the fluid event was actually, uh, had local variations in time. It wasn't a big wave. So -hmm. this kind of just shows you uh, how much more information you can glean and be much more specific uh, by using these kinds of techniques. Um, in the future and or present, uh, you know, I'm using it to uh, constrain various processes. Um, I'm going to be looking into partial melting, um, might try dating some of that partial melt. Things are still 
you know, in the planning stages for a few things. But uh, there's a lot you can do with it. And there's a lot of different ways you can utilize it. But for me, a lot of it at the moment is uh, sort of constraining the ages of different events and the pressure and temperature of different events and kind of seeing what does that mean for a particular region in terms of how it developed tectonically and uh, how it evolved through time. In your opinion, uh, what is the future of petrochronology? And I mean, both in terms of application as well as techniques. I mean, in terms of application, I think that I hope that it will continue to grow in terms of how many people actually use uh, this field of science, like that people will continue to find new ways of uh, retaining context, maybe easier than what we have right now, making it so that uh, it's less of an effort to retain this information. And that could be purely from an analytical standpoint, like more modern instruments it's getting easier every time they make a new machine to put a whole thin section in there so you can just analyze it and not have to worry about uh destroying anything um in order to retain context um i think there's a lot of room to grow but mm -hmm. i feel like it's something that is never going to go away i think now that we're in this sort of multidisciplinary research environment I think multidisciplinary research is here to stay. I don't think, you know, we will see much of papers that just do one particular technique anymore. I just, the power is in the petrochronology, I think. <laughs> wow, man, that is, that is a great slogan, I have to say. I, I, maybe I could call the episode that the, the power is in petrochronology. Um, and uh, I, I just like to add to that, that I think, uh, for example, it, with what Sylvia works with, uh, which is also, you know, it also involves petrochronology, maybe applied a bit more to like tectonic evolution or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think one field that potentially is going to um, evolve quite quickly and that uh, has a lot of space to grow is the thermodynamic modeling mm -hmm. of, you know, more complex matrices, let's say, mm. uh, you know, getting into the the deep maths of things and and you know, getting uh, more and more um, results from complex uh, studies, object studies. So, yeah, yeah, I think also is uh, well part of the uh, talking about the multidisciplinary. The petrochronology had a lot of also um, complementary parts from uh, the modeling. Um, modeling the processes that you then date and uh, see the variation in, in the geochemistry in major element and in trace element and uh, the fact that we can uh, that we are refining all the way to uh, constrain better the evolution especially from uh, not only most recent rocks but also very old rocks that's very important I think for the scientific community yeah definitely I think one uh, one good example of like petrochronology being pretty much the only way out is studying you know very very ancient crust because um, you know rocks that are older than uh, 4.0 even you know 3.8 billion years are very very hard to come across uh, so they they usually aren't like 
actually rocks. They are just minerals that were preserved from these rocks that existed at some point. And uh, if you can, you know, study the mineral chemistry and tie that with uh, with dating, then you can start telling the story of you know our planet at this very very early stages, which is uh, you know something we talked uh, with Peter about in our very first uh, nice chats episode. So. And I think it ties also pretty well with um, our session at Goldschmidt from uh, the last week, and uh, especially yours, Peter, with uh, analytical development and how far we are, you know, refining all this technique that can improve um, the petro petrochronological studies and um, uh, such as uh, recent recent development from. Australian actually in the Lutetium Hafnium in garden dating uh, that is pretty uh, I think pretty exciting to uh, just date in situ um, minerals like garnet that preserve a lot of history. Yeah man I definitely know a lot of people that uh, love them some garnets. Are you one of those? Alan? Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> I have some nice ones. And some ones that I wouldn't mind going back and getting at some point. Are those coming them. with you? Uh, some of them. Some of them. All nice. I wanted to add as well is like, I think, uh, you know, like the realm of atom probe and how that could potentially be used for petrochronology. Like that's pretty, that's, that's up there. Um, yeah, definitely. You know? Definitely infant and uh, hopefully is going to develop into a very, very useful and interesting field. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and this, gonna tell us what is happening actually at the atomic scale that's that's mm -hmm. what i want to know that's the what is question. happening at the atom scale that's it shout out to tomaso tomaso so we're gonna get to talk about your hobbies outside of geosciences in the final part of the show but for now i would want to touch on something that you do that is not necessarily connected to research and that is writing review article for games in a website, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so when I'm not working, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not too busy working and doing geoscience, um, I, uh, I guess as a, in a connection to my lifelong love of video games, I started writing about gaming news and reviewing video games for a little Aussie website called Well Played. It's one yeah. word. Um, and, you know, we're just a, a sort of a little family group of Aussie gamers that, you know, uh, enjoy good humor um, and, and playing good games that just sort of either make us feel strong emotions or allow us to, to escape our day jobs for a little while um, and experience something different, I suppose. And, you know, it's, it's a nice little creative outlet as well you know uh, get out of the rigidity that can sometimes be science and mm -hmm. just have a bit of fun yeah and uh, my question to you actually is do you think that some of the abilities that you developed while you were a phd student have translated into this hobby uh some of them yeah um certainly uh i guess like my ability to kind of problem solve and critique things and pick up on things has certainly uh uh been something i've noticed as well as i guess 
you know, knowing how to do a formal scientific review uh, was kind of handy uh, to doing these other forms of reviews. But again, it's an opportunity to kind of let my hair down a little bit. Um, can't get, you know, too dug down in the nitty gritty details, you know, that we mm-hmm. normally need to communicate. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah, I, I definitely find it interesting um, you know, this case of skills acquired via a PhD that translate into a different activity. Uh, we talked with uh, Rebecca Paisley about that in the part one of the Rebecca trilogy, but we mainly focused on how that impacted her work skills. But there are many things that we develop while doing our grad studies that uh, we can carry on to other aspects of our lives. Um, you know, for example, learning how to spot unreliable news is a great one to have. Um, and I think that we just discovered another one from you. So I, I also I also used my acquired coral draw skills to come up with a design for the wine labels for our family's uh, winery. That's cool. Um, I don't know. I just I just find it interesting. So I don't want to get too political here. But uh, I just think that there are many benefits to continued education, just, you know, past just like career path and becoming, you know, an academic and all of that. So. Mm. Work-life balance. That's it. <laughs> Something to strive For our next segment, we like to ask always the same three questions at the end of every episode. Uh, These are questions which are a little bit more personal. They're designed to make each guest a bit more familiar to the listener and allow us to compare experiences and opinions across all the geoscience research fields. And as always, the first question is, how did you first decide to become a geoscientist? Uh, Mine was kind of, it wasn't a direct choice. It wasn't my first choice, actually. Um, I I remember back to like high school science and we had a, a, a section on geology. And I think I was the only one in the class that actually enjoyed it. Um, and uh, when it came time to kind of figure out what I wanted to do, it wasn't what I actually thought of first. I was thinking about doing engineering mm-hmm. and it, it just wasn't quite the right fit. So uh, we had this sort of, tool when I was in high school that you could look up different sort of career options. And when I put in engineering, one of the sort of related and or connected things that came up was geology. And I, it just had that memory back to that class. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is what I want to do. Um, and I looked into it a bit more and uh, intended some information sessions. And I was like, yep, this is it. It's the science that I want to do. It's, it has a little bit of everything you know, and mm-hmm. that's why I like it because everything affects geology and geology affects everything, you know? Yeah. That's a, that story is very similar to, to my personal story of how I became a geoscientist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the specifics of the research that you are conducting at present? Uh, this is a little bit difficult one for me because I'm in a period of transition right now. Um, but at the moment, uh, I'm collaborating on a few different things that are mainly looking at constraining like sort of the pressure temperature time evolution of different areas around the world 
including uh, South Africa and the Natal Belt, um, working on some kind of interesting rocks from Indonesia. Um, I'm also doing a project that is looking at uh, the distribution of potassium in pyroxene, which mm-hmm. is historically thought to be impossible. But we know that there is some potassium in pyroxene because of our ability to date it with argon-argon. So I'm trying to investigate uh, sort of where and how potassium gets into potassium so that we can actually quantify that and verify and understand it as well. Um, but I guess I'm about to start a very big project uh, very soon where I'll be studying uh, partial melting, which is to me one of the sort of geological problems that I come across very often working in metamorphic rocks is the fact that we have this open system process that we can't quite quantify or not very Mm -hmm. well. And if we were able to rewind this process, uh, we could see so much more and have such a a much better idea of what we're actually measuring and what we're actually uh, constraining. So I'm going to be doing some multidisciplinary research to uh, investigate partial melting and uh, the movement of partial melt through the crust and how Mm -hmm. we might see that better. So Mm -hmm. excited to start that. (laughs) Oh, I'm excited (laughs) too to see some of the results coming out from that in a few years. Mm, Um, What do you enjoy doing? Oh, sorry. This next one is actually... Perhaps we have uh, spoiled for our listeners, but uh, what do you enjoy doing when you are not geosciencey? Uh, being a big nerd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been a, a, a fan of video games for practically my whole life. Um, it's something I've always enjoyed, much to the confusion of my some of my family members um Mm -hmm. that aren't gamers um but yeah when I'm not working and when I'm not tired I like to uh play and or stream video games on Twitch um to share my experiences and uh have some fun and you know I love games that can kind of transport you to another place and or allow you to experience something that you never have you know things Mm -hmm. with potentially deep story or just I'm a big fan of farming simulators for some reason. <laughs> it's fun. Um, yeah. And or games with lots of collectibles. I think okay. that's also why I like collecting rocks because I have this deep-seated desire to collect things. <laughs> and uh, would you be okay with our listeners following you on Twitch? or? Yeah, that would be great. Um, you can find me uh, at I'm nice at Twitch TV. I'll give you guys a link for that too, if you want. Um, but yeah, uh, put it in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Yeah. No, pretty casual. Pre- mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be discussing petrochronology there, though, are you? No. Occasionally I might, uh, you know, if someone asks what I do or if I allude to something, sometimes occasionally people might ask me questions about my career and stuff like that. But yeah, usually it's pretty chill. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, So, Al, thank you so much for this chat today uh, and help us learn about the wonders of petrochronology. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much, Eleanor. And um, we wait for you here in Europe. Well, yeah, not really Europe, but I mean, close close to Mm. it. It used to be Europe.
So I hope that you are convinced now that the power does reside in petrochronology. Nice Chat is part of the Geology Podcast Network and it is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. Follow Traveling Geologist on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. More episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at travelinggeologist.com wherever you get your podcast, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I hope to see you all in the next season of Nice Chats next year. And for now, shout out to Planet Earth. Really keeps me grounded, you know. That was so good. I liked all the explanation about the words. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I thought as soon as we started the game, I was like, oh man, maybe I should have sent like these uh, words to Eleanor beforehand so she would be prepared to answer what they are. But then I was like, they're so basic. There is no way she's not going to know it. (laughs) Uh, No, that part was fine. It was like the geological side. I was like, hmm, this is hard as well as like, you know, it's like 8.30 at night, so <laughs> my brain is not like tip-top, but we're not too I thought bad. I we're tripled fine. you with the Pikachu for a moment there. Not sure if you're a Pokemon I was, It was just... <laughs> <laughs> like 80% of this. <laughs> Though my big, my big giant one that's usually back there is not there right now. Uh, that's fine. Um, he'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>